remember where you were, when? It's often asked a question, isn't it? Where were you when? I find it really difficult to remember things. You know, Hermes great with dates and everything, but I find it really difficult. I remember the things happening. I remember watching on telly the Berlin Wall coming down, but I can't tell you the date and where I was. Momentous events in history. When we heard the news that Princess Diana died, I know it was a Sunday morning because I was preparing for a service, but I can't tell you the date. When the Twin Towers were attacked, I remember watching it on telly, horrified, but I can't, well, I can remember the 9-11 date, but Nelson Mandela, anyone remember him, watching him walk out of prison? I can't remember the date. But I can tell you this, I remember the first time I believed in the resurrection of Jesus. I had heard it so many times. But I can tell you that on Sunday night, the 7th of April, it was Easter Sunday, 1985, at Orpington Baptist Church. I heard it again, but I heard it in a different way. I heard it and I believed it. Just a few days prior to that, I had knelt by my bed and invited Jesus into my life. Now, you may say, I've got that all the wrong way around. I'd been running away from God for a lot of my life. I was brought up in it, steeped in it. I knew it, but I didn't know him. And I'd struggled and I argued with Christians And every time I thought I won an argument, I was more unhappy than when I'd started. And then he met me. Late one night, walking home on my own, in the dark, he called out to me. I remember his words to me. What about me? That's all he said. What about me? I looked around. I thought there'd be somebody else there. There was no one there. But the amazing thing is I knew what it meant. And I knew who it was. I knew that it was Jesus. And I knew it was because I'd never faced up to who he was. That's why I love Alpha so much. Every time I do an Alpha course when people say, well, I can't believe because of this. And I say, yeah, I remember. I was exactly like that. What about all the other religions in the world? What about all the suffering in the world? I remember every argument I used to have. And I invited Jesus into my life. I gave him everything. And then that Sunday night, we went as a family to Orpington Baptist Church where a friend of ours was uh, living. My parents didn't know that I had made that commitment secretly in my room. And the preacher preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And I sat there thinking, it's true. This is true. I'd met him. (laughs) You don't meet dead people. 
And it was the first time I went public because they had communion. And I had never taken communion in my life. And my mum and my dad were there. And my brother and my sister. And, you know, the bread came along the row. And I took it for the very first time. And I remember my dad looking at me. And he said, welcome home, son. Seventh of April, 1985. See, I was broken by the love of Jesus. That's what broke me. The fact that Jesus would die for me on the cross, and I know what I'm like, and he died for me. That night, it was like scales fell from my eyes. What I couldn't understand or see for so long, suddenly, I just knew it was true. And everything changed. Imagine the first disciples of Jesus sharing their stories. Where were you? Perhaps Mary, I was in the garden by the tomb. And I thought he was a gardener (laughs) until he called my name. Maybe John. Well, I ran with Peter to the tomb and I walked in and I saw the folded grave clothes and I believed. Didn't understand it all, but I believed. Or the disciples, we were in the upper room with the doors locked and the windows barred. And he just came in. Thomas took me a bit longer because I couldn't believe it. Unless he showed me his hands and his side. I said I wouldn't believe it, and then he came and he showed me his hands and his side. Or the two on the Emmaus Road, we were leaving Jerusalem, and then we were met on the road by this stranger, and as he talked to us, our hearts began to burn within us as he spoke. But when he broke bread, we knew The Apostle Paul, he tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. We don't hear much about that occasion. What an amazing occasion, 500 together. And then Paul, last of all, he says, he appeared to me also. Jesus has already ascended, but Paul says he appeared to me also. As one abnormally born, he says. On the Damascus Road. And all down through history, each disciple of Jesus, maybe you tonight can say where you were. Or maybe that's difficult to pinpoint a time because it was so gradual for you that 
There wasn't just that moment when he said, that's when I believed. But there was a moment when you turned and accepted Jesus. Tonight we're going to read the final chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's gospel ends on the most beautiful notes, probably my favorite final verse of any book in the Bible, if I'm allowed to have a favorite final verse of any book in the Bible. And Jesus says this, I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. In fact, the final chapter of Matthew's gospel is like an exclamation mark, celebrating the victory of Jesus and pointing to us forward to a glorious future. It comes after the horrific events of the death of Jesus on the cross when everyone thought it was all over. The disciples were not expecting to meet Jesus alive. Even though he told them. Now we read it in hindsight and say, why didn't they expect it? He told them again and again and again. The Roman authorities were relieved that the man who had sparked so much unrest at Passover was no longer a problem. The Jewish priests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were relieved that their competition, this heretic preacher from Nazareth had been eliminated. And the disciples were bewildered, terrified, confused. Things had happened so quickly, so unexpectedly. All their hopes had been dashed. Jesus had been arrested, tortured, crucified, was dead and buried. The end. Except it's not. So I want to read from Matthew 28, the final chapter. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. It's a combination of that. It's amazing. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Have you ever been afraid, yet filled with joy? And ran to his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. 
While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Still is. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today we're celebrating that moment when everything changed. The greatest day in history had dawned. It was the ultimate happy ending. The greatest comeback of all time. Everyone knew that Jesus had died. He was dead and buried. So many witnesses saw him die. His family, his friends, his enemies, even the soldiers. The Roman soldiers who executed Jesus were professionals. They killed people for a living. They were experts at it. And they were under strict orders to kill Jesus. No one survived Roman execution. They always made sure of their kill. When you read the accounts of the crucifixion, the soldiers break the legs of the two people crucified with Jesus. That was the quickest way to ensure death. Because the only way you could breathe on a cross was to push up from with your legs so that you could breathe. To give space for your lungs to take in air. If you broke the legs, they would just have to sink down and they would suffocate. They come to Jesus and they don't break his legs because he's already dead. But they're professionals. Just to make sure, they push a spear through his side. And blood and water come out, a sure evidence of death. And in doing that, these Roman soldiers fulfill prophecy. Written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus lived, that the Messiah, Jesus, the one who came, none of his bones would be broken. But he would be pierced. He was dead.
Joseph of Arimathea, we're told, with Nicodemus, asked for permission to bury Jesus. He even gave his own tomb, one that had never been used before. And they buried Jesus, and a huge stone was placed over the entrance of the tomb. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious people said, to Pilate, we want you to secure that tomb. Because if rumors get out that, you know, he's not in there anymore, we'll be in trouble. And Pilate agreed, secure the tomb. So there were guards posted. And not only that, they sealed the stone in front of the tomb. The guards had been instructed to see, seal off the area for, until the third day. But nothing can hold Jesus. Not sin, not death, not a grave, not a stone, nor Roman guards. He rose from the dead physically. He left the grave clothes there. The stone was rolled away. And he's alive. Alive forevermore. If you read all the gospel accounts together, which I love to do every Easter, I sort of, you know, amalgamate them all. In fact, I a friend... Um, Jeff Lander wrote a little pamphlet and he amalgamated all the gospel stories. It's a bit, you know, because they've all written in different times and have different reasons for their gospels and they're slightly, you know, different accounts, but always remembering the same thing. But I love to read them all. And Jesus had a busy day that first Easter day. He, he pops up in different places, surprising and scaring and delighting the disciples. One moment he's on the Emmaus Road, walking seven miles away from Jerusalem, and then he's back in Jerusalem, and he meets with the women. He was back from the dead, just like he said, just like he promised. And while the disciples of Jesus were out of their minds with joy and fear, the Roman and Jewish authorities were out of their minds scrambling to know what they were going to do about this. This is what they feared. Now there'd be rumors that this Jesus was alive again. If Jesus had remained dead... He would be still in the tomb, unless the disciples stole his body or grave robbers. But if Jesus had remained dead, he may have been remembered for a generation. You could speculate he would have been remembered for a bit longer than that. What a wise, amazing teacher he was. Such a shame that he died crucified by the Romans. 
You would not be here in 2022 worshipping Jesus on Easter Sunday if he had died. It's one of the greatest evidences for the fact that Jesus is alive. Is that he still appears to people today and calls them to follow him. You see, if it is true that Jesus came back from the dead, it changes everything. It means that he is who he said he was, God the Son. It means everything that he claimed about himself was true. He is the Savior of the world. The Pharisees and the religious leaders figured this out really quickly. They knew what would happen if this news was allowed to spread. It would undermine their authority, their whole way of life. Their religion would no longer be the way to God. Jesus would be the way to God. Sinners would no longer be excluded from salvation. They would be prime candidates for salvation. People would no longer have to strive to keep the law that was impossible to keep. They would follow Jesus, the only one who kept the law and gave his life as a sacrifice that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. They would follow Jesus whose yoke is easy and burden is light. They would discover the wide open spaces of grace. That unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God that says to anyone, if you would trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You have a new life. Death has been conquered. You're going to live with Jesus in eternity. There's going to be a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. So what did the religious authorities do? They lied. They tried to control the narrative. We're very familiar with that. You can think of perhaps a few people who are trying to control the narrative. They even bribed the Roman guards to spread the lie. And they even promised to protect the guards whom they had bribed if it got a bit sticky for them. Yet it all got a bit messy, but the only alternative was to admit that they were wrong. To admit that the one they rejected and they had crucified was the very one they were supposed to worship and represent. And they refused. And they hardened their hearts. Yet we're told some believed. Some even believed their own lies. People of every age find the resurrection of Jesus threatening. I understand that. Because if it's true, everything has changed. So many who reject Jesus actually will not allow themselves to be confronted by this truth, even the evidence that there is for the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, the grave clothes, the appearances to the disciples, the church that bears his name. Because if it's true, it will mean a complete change of heart and a complete change of worldview.
a world with Jesus at the center. That first Easter morning was not just the dawning of another day, of another week, but the beginning of a new age and the dawning of a new creation. Back to Matthew 28, just the last verses. He meets the disciples on a mountain in Galilee. If you read through Matthew's gospel, a lot happens on mountains in Matthew's gospel. The last temptation of Jesus happens on a mountain. The devil, it says, takes him to a high mountain and he promises him all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down, worship me, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. That amazing sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And then there's the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus appears in all his brilliance, the glory of Jesus that, that he had before he was born here on earth. The glory he had from the very beginning. The teaching on the Mount of Olives, and then he's crucified on a mountain as well. Mount Moriah. And if you trace that back through the Old Testament, that was the mountain that Abraham took Isaac and was about to sacrifice Isaac, but God provided a lamb as a substitute. So the 11 disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Have you ever you know, read that and thought, oh, what are they doing? There is another way to translate that word doubted in the Greek. It's hesitated. But maybe both are true. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Did they doubt that it was Jesus? Or were they hesitating about worshipping him? The one they had walked with, talked with, laughed with, joked with, seen do amazing things was God in the flesh. Incredible thing for a Jewish person to confess. But the majority did worship. From then to the present day, what we've done tonight, we've gathered in this place to worship Jesus. Because we acknowledge who he is. We believe in Jesus. He has rescued us. He has shown us incredible grace. We know him as Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember that final temptation of the devil on the mountain? I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down and worship me. Forget the cross, just bow down to me, said the devil. What cheek of the devil to say that to Jesus, whom he knew was the Lord of glory, whom he had worshipped until he was thrown out of heaven. But the devil met Jesus on that mountain as a man. And the devil has had no problem with men ever. 
except Jesus. And Jesus now says, through the cross, through the suffering, through the sacrifice, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus's. That does not mean that the world is already completely as Jesus intends it to be, as someone asked last week. If Jesus has come, if he's rescued the world, if he's done, why is the world just as it is now? Nothing's changed, but everything has changed. No, the world is not yet. as Jesus intends it to be, but it will be soon. And whether you believe that we're in the last throes of that, I guess every generation believes you're in the last days. We are in the last days. We are closer to Jesus coming back tonight than we were last night. But the world is no longer under the rule of sin and death. The enemy is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. And his kingdom is here. It's in you and me. And one day soon it will come in all its glorious fullness when Jesus will return and every eye will see him. This cosmic event when Jesus returns. And then he puts in this shocking thing he wants to use you and me to bring his kingdom. The great commission, as we call it. For all our weaknesses and faults, he sends us, his church, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, not an optional extra, but for disciples of Jesus. That public, visible, physical, visible way in which a believer identifies with Jesus as Savior and Lord. And part of that meaning of baptism is to commit ourselves through the plunging into water, signifying the washing away of our sins, but also dying with Jesus and being raised to new life with Jesus and his kingdom. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then the best finish of any book of the Bible, according to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know if you can remember when you believed that Jesus was alive. Maybe it's a little bit blurry. Maybe you have a date. But whenever you took that moment, decision, whether it was over a period of time or not, everything changed. And he's calling us to follow him and serve him. And even in our weaknesses, be used by him. Maybe tonight, I don't know whether the Lord has spoken to anybody about making a first step of that faith in Jesus to believe the resurrection of Jesus. 
or to be baptized as a believer. To nail those colors to the mast and say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Jesus is worth everything. It's the greatest news you will ever hear. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. He is reigning. He's returning. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this amazing, amazing.